Amen. You can be seated. Ken, so good to see you here this morning. You know, it's really a blessing just to be able to praise God, to know the Lord, to have our, our spiritual understanding given to us and our eyes open. I always think about that, that man that was filled with the demons, that just had legions of demons that lived in the tombstones and naked and cut himself. And people try to tame him like an animal and he would break the chains that they put on him. It was this supernatural, dark, demonic power of, of hell that had his life bound. And the Lord, just in a moment, set him free. And he was clothed and in his right mind. Just in a moment. That's how the Lord can do. He's almighty. Amen. He's mighty to save. Salvation is of the Lord. And then the man wanted to go be with Jesus. Let me go with you wherever you go. And he said, no, you go, you go back and tell the people of your town how the Lord's had mercy upon you. And great com the great compassion he's had on your life. That is, uh, it's a joy to know the Lord. There was some point in your life you didn't know the Lord. Amen. There was some point in your life. Maybe it seems like another lifetime ago. But even if you got saved when you were a child, there was some time you didn't know the Lord. You were lost. And by nature, we were children of wrath. And God saved us. Amen. We ought to be thankful for salvation. We ought to be thankful that we're clothed in, in our right minds. That our spiritual eyes have been opened. And uh, I'm so thankful to the Lord. I say it all the time. I'm more excited about Jesus and knowing Jesus and his word and serving God and following God and the future that he has for us and gro gro growing closer to Jesus. I'm more excited about that now than ever before. Amen. And, and that's the Holy Ghost just stirring that up. And we need to stir ourselves up. And I want you to, if you would, to, to turn with me in your Bibles to Hebrews chapter 11. Hebrews chapter 11, we're going to read one verse here to get started. Hebrews eleven seventeen. let's read that together. By faith Abraham, when he was tried, offered up Isaac, and he that had received the promises offered up his only begotten son. Now we all know this account very well, probably it's one of the most well-known accounts in the whole Bible but it says when, when Abraham was tried, he offered up his only begotten son. Now, I know he had another son, Ishmael, through, through Hagar. But this child of the promise, the one that God planned, the one that God promised for him and Sarah to have, to be the father of the Jewish nation, to be the father of many nations, and th that father through which the Savior would one day be born. That son, Isaac, the child of the promise, in obedience to the Lord, because the Lord said, Abraham, I want you to take your son, your only son, Isaac, whom you love, and I want you to offer him, sacrifice him there in a mountain that I'll show you. And he did. And this sacrifice, this offering of Abraham, offering up his son Isaac, typified and foreshadowed the, the, the offering of God given his son Jesus Christ for the sins of the world. And... I've thought about this, and, and this seems more like an Easter message, but this is what God gave me for Christmas, okay? I know we have this week and next week uh, as, as far as sermon, Sundays before Christmas, and we'll do something maybe more along the lines of, of the birth of Jesus next, next week. But I believe this is a Christmas sermon as well. And godly men men and women, and godly men that we read about in the Bible, through the years, in obedience to the Lord, have by faith offered up sacrifices to God. 
Abraham offered up Isaac. We see other offerings that were made in obedience to the Lord. But there is one, and there was one sacrifice, one gift, one offering that surpassed them all. That surpassed them all. And that is the gift of Jesus Christ, that offering of himself to the Lord. And I want to read this. For if the blood of bulls and of goats and the ashes of a heifer sprinkling to the the unclean sanctifieth to the purifying of the flesh, how much more shall the blood of Christ, who through the eternal spirit offered himself without spot to God, purge your conscience from dead works to serve the living God. Amen. How much more uh, we are to offer ourselves to the Lord. We are to offer up as a living sacrifice, right? As believers, we are to offer sac- spiritual sacrifices to God acceptable by Jesus Christ. But all of these sacrifices and all of these offerings and gifts given back to God are pointless, they're meaningless, they're vain without that sacrifice of Jesus offering himself to God. Otherwise, it would just be men trying to find a way, trying to find a way to please God. Maybe this will please God. Maybe this will please God. Maybe if I went out and died for the Lord. All of those things would be vain and meaningless without that sacrifice of Jesus through the eternal spirit offering himself to his Father of his own volition, of his own free will, offering himself back to the Lord. And we read in the scripture how much more, if God accepted those animal sacrifices, which he did when they were offered by faith, if God accepted those as a covering for sin, how much more, how much greater the offering of Jesus Christ himself. Man, I want to focus on this two words this morning, sufficient and satisfied, okay? Sufficient and satisfied. How much more sufficient was and is the sacrifice of the Lord Jesus Christ of himself being offered back to God. How much completely satisfactory that, what, that gift was to the Father. But in fulfillment of all of the, the prophets and their prophecies that were written about him, in fulfillment of all the scriptures, and fulfillment of all of the examples and types and shadows which Abraham and Isaac were one, in fulfillment of all that, the Lord Jesus came to this earth, born in the flesh, for one purpose. He had one purpose. And at Christmas time, we need to think about it. We need to think about it all the time. But the Bible says, and the Word, He's the eternal Word. I, I, I tell, I know that you know this, but even in the Parkview Bible study, I was, did a little Christmas devotional this past Wednesday for the guys, and I said, now, when Jesus was born in, of a virgin, and about 2,000 years ago in Bethlehem, was that when he came into existence or had he always been? And they knew it. They said he's always been. He's the eternal God from eternity past. But the Bible says, and John says it, in, in, and the word became flesh and dwelt among us. That is the incarnation of Jesus Christ. This is biblical. This is foundational to our doctrine. The word that was eternity past at some particular time, At a particular time, in the fullness of time, the Bible says, God sent forth his son. And he was born incarnate. He was born in a human flesh, in a human body, but without the sinful nature 
of Adam. Amen. He was born of a virgin. But he was born of a virgin. But he was born for a very specific person, uh, purpose. He was born as the spotless lamb of God. He was born as the lamb slain from the foundation of the world. Now you say, well, everybody's going to die. But that's true. If we're not raptured, everybody's going to die. All population in history past has died. Everybody's going to die, but Jesus was born to die. He was born for the purpose of dying. That's different. We're born to live and, and prayerfully to come to know Christ and glorify God in our lives and in our death. But Jesus was born to die. He'd always been, but he was born. The Word became flesh for that specific purpose. And he was born to offer himself to God. The Bible says without spot, without blemish, in his entire life, his life and then his death was all an offering for sin. It was an offering unto the Lord. And not only was it an offering for sin, because there are many sin offerings that have been offered through the years, but his was the one final sin offering, the one all-sufficient offering for sin. It stops with him. It's over with him. He said on the cross, it's finished. And we see men, kind of like Sherry talked about in Sunday school, the Pharisee and the publican was the parable given from Luke 18. And the contrast between the two. Both were sinners. Both needed a Savior. Jesus died, would later die for both. And yet the, the publican uh, realized and humbled himself before the Lord. He realized his sinfulness and sinful state and sinful condition and his utter helplessness to be right with God. So he beats his breast and doesn't look up and cries out for mercy from the Lord and received it because he said he went home justified. And the other man continued in his own self-righteousness. Well, I've done this and I've done that. And I've done good works and religious works and I'm not a murderer and I'm not an extortioner and I'm not like these other people or like that publican over there. And he justified himself. And the Bible says he would have to be humble because if you exalt yourself, you're going to be abased. But when Jesus came, he, he was the one final satisfactory sacrifice for sins. He puts an end to all that. And he just wants us to believe. He wants us to come to him. He wants us to stop trying to be good on our own and stop trying to be bad and sinning and rebelling against God. He wants us to come to him and fall at his feet and and humble ourselves before the Lord and believe that what he did was sufficient and only what he did would be sufficient. We can't add to it. We can't subtract from it. We can't make it better. It was the perfect. All those other sacrifices just typified this one. All those other sacrifices just fell woefully short. But he says on the cross, it's finished. And Christ the Lord offered the offering. He himself offered the offering. Christ the Lord sacrificed the sacrifice, and it was himself. And that sacrifice which he offered satisfied. It satisfied. It satisfied what all the other sacrifices and offerings could never satisfy. Could never. Add them all up. Add up, add up every genuine from the heart sacrifice that was made to the Lord for sin or whatever it may have been, and put them all together. And it doesn't satisfy. It was all satisfied in Jesus. 
satisfied in Jesus. I want to read this. This is a messianic psalm about the first coming of Jesus. God is the Lord, which has showed us light. Bind the sacrifice with cords, even unto the altar. When he was the sacrifice, Jesus was, that was bound on the cross. Amen. And in Roman crucifixion, they would nail the, the criminal, because that's who died on the cross. It was criminals that died on the cross, and it was the worst of the worst that were crucified. They would bind him and tie him, from what I understand. And Jesus was bound, but he did it willingly, and he did it for us. And I want to read for this from Isaiah 53. Another passage, the whole chapter, I think 12 verses, speaks of Jesus' first coming, and specifically him dying on the cross like a shameful death of humility, like we're studying in Philippians chapter 2 right now. Um, I'll read this from Isaiah 53, 11. He shall see, the father shall see the travail of his soul, the son's soul. The father's going to see the travail of Jesus' soul in his death and shall be satisfied. Isn't that wonderful? The father's going to look at Jesus specifically in his death, the life that he lived, sinless and obedience to God. Never looked to the left or the right, looked to the cross the whole time. Only did what his father saw his father doing and stayed in the perfect will of the father all the way to the cross, all the way through the garden and all the way to the cross and says it's finished and he gave up the ghost. And it says the father's going to see the travail of his soul, Jesus, his son's soul, and be satisfied. He's going to be satisfied by his knowledge shall my righteous servant justify many for he shall bear their iniquities. You know what the word satisfy means? That Christ's offering satisfied and the Father was satisfied in that offering for sin. It means to fill. It means to have enough. It means to have plenty of. It actually goes on to mean to be weary of. It's like, okay, enough, enough. Right? Thanksgiving. I had to call time out. I had to beg for mercy. I was eating so much uh, dessert. I was like, that's enough. D, throw it away. Get, get rid of it. Get it out of the house. I don't want to see it. I don't want to find it in the freezer or the back of the fridge. Get it out. I'm weary. Uh, I ate so much. And so that's what it means what Jesus did. The Bible says, but where sin abounded, and sin does abound, amen, it abounded in your life and my life and in the world. Where sin abounded, grace did much more abound. That grace specifically came for the law was given by Moses, but grace and truth in the fullness came through the Lord Jesus Christ. Where sin abounded, he just trumps it. He's just satisfied. It's more than enough to have plenty of, to fill, to satisfy, to be weary of. So here's sin, and we know how rampant sin is in the world and how rampant sin was in our lives before we came to Christ and how the devil still wants us to sin and our flesh still wants to sin. And that's just abounding. You turn on the TV, you'll see it everywhere. You can't look anywhere and not see gross immorality and sin. And it's abounding, but grace much more abounds. Just much more supersedes it. It's just over the top. Is there grace to forgive every single sinner of every single sin they've ever committed or thought or going to commit? Yes. It's all satisfied in Jesus. Don't think that we're winning, uh, we're fighting a losing battle. Don't think that Jesus is curled up in a little corner saying, oh, I sure wish some people would come to me. 
our he's, he's the King of kings and the Lord of lords. He's saving souls. He's going right in the devil's kingdom and snatching people out. Where sin abounded and abounds today, grace much more abounds. We need to believe that because the Father was satisfied and is satisfied in that final sacrifice that was given. The Father said, that's it. That's enough. That's the one that was promised. That's the one that was foreshadowed. That's the one that was typified. That's the one that was pictured in the temple and through Abraham offering Isaac. That's the one. But he finally came. He did come. We don't have to offer him over and over on an altar. When we take communion, for example, we're not offering the body of the Jesus over and over. That's been offered. What we are doing is remembering with a holy spiritual remembrance of what God has done for us. Again, I know this sounds more like an Easter sermon, but this is what the Lord has given me for, for today. Through the history of mankind, we see sacrifices being made to the Lord. From Abel on, men have sacrificed and made offerings to God. And I will say this, when those offerings were offered in obedience to the Lord, according to the will of God, by faith, that's very important, when they're offered by faith, God would receive them, whether it was a sin offering or some type of offering that was made, God would graciously receive those. But none of those saved the individual. We did a whole, I think, seven parts. I can't remember how many parts series on the law. If you ever are confused about it, and who wouldn't be? It can be confusing. Um, on the law, the law, Old Testament law given under Moses, right? And and where it fits in the whole picture and so forth. But God provided that until, you understand what I'm saying? God provided that sacrificial system until Christ would come. But now that Christ has come, the righteousness of the law is fulfilled in us who believe because he fulfilled it. So it's imputed to me as righteousness by faith in the righteous one. Those things were not evil, the blood sacrifice that God gave the law. God said it's good, it's holy, it's spiritual. But never did he say this law will save you. Make this animal sacrifice for your sins and you will be eternally forgiven. He, he would use it, it was the grace of God until Christ came. That's the best way to put it. Because God would say offer this offering, an animal, for a sin offering, and the priests were continually offering, which we're going to read some of that. But the Lord required it, and then he, in turn, accepted it. He would say, I'll accept it for an atonement. And I know that you know what that word means, but atonement simply means a, cover, a covering. It does not mean a cleansing or forgiveness. If I committed a sin and lied, and I said, Lord, I lied, forgive me, and I went and I offered what was required, and the priests were offering continually. And there was an annual day of atonement where, where the sin offerings were made. God would accept that offering by faith that I made of that animal as a covering for my sin to where I didn't die in my sin. Physically, I didn't die. And to me, it's the grace of God. It gave you more time to get yourself right with God, spiritually speaking. And the people that lived under the law that really knew God, they knew that those things didn't save them. David knew, okay? And we read about it. And so, anyway, it w those offerings were offered, but they, in, the, in themselves, the most wonderful offering 
offered up by the most godly man, those offerings in and of themselves could never satisfy the wrath of God against sin. Never. He didn't accept them as the final satisfaction of sin. He accepted them, accepted them as an atonement or a covering for individual men's sin so they could keep seeking after God. Because he was found by men in the Old Testament. He was found by men since, since the New Testament days. And we're found by seeking after God. But uh, only, only Christ could satisfy. Those offerings didn't satisfy. And it was never given uh, as being the satisfaction for that. They were righteous demands that a holy God has against sin. A righteous penalty that a holy God has against sin. And all of those fell woefully short, as I said, in satisfying God. And yet, that was the way Abraham believed God and it was counted unto him for righteousness. Old Testament men were saved when they believed in God. Even though they offered offerings and so forth. And he lived 400 years before the law was given. But I want to read this from Hebrews 9. The Levitical priests and those animal sacrifices, which were... Which were uh, Blood sacrifices of animals, it says, which was a figure for the time then present, in which were offered both gifts and sacrifices. Listen to this. Those sacrifices which could not make him that did the service perfect as pertaining to the conscience. So they fell short. They fell short. They accomplished uh a measure of grace and certainly a covering for sin, but they fell short as far as cleansing a man's heart, cleansing his conscience from sin. They couldn't do that. But God himself provided a lamb. And, and you always think about that with Abraham and Isaac. The way that story ends, the way that account ends, we see the obedience of, of Abraham. We see him doing it by faith. We read in Hebrews that he counted him faithful to raise his son from the dead. If he offered him, we don't read that in Genesis, but in Hebrews, we see that was the case that even as he's raised in the knife to slay his only son, through which the promise was going to be fulfilled. It says Abraham believed that God could raise him from the dead. OK, and on top of all of that, God said, whoa, whoa, whoa. Now I know that you fear me. Know it, seeing that you have not withheld your son, your only son whom you love. And. They look, and there in the thicket, lo and behold, <laughs> what, a, what a coincidence, right? There's a ram caught in the thicket by its horns. I've hunted my, all my life. I've never seen an a, a animal caught in a bush, okay? But this ram was caught in a bush right there, and what was it? It was a substitute given in place of Isaac. God provided himself a lamb. I say it all the time. God spared Isaac. He didn't spare his only son. He didn't spare Jesus. Amen. He was satisfied through the death of his son. He went all the way, all the way, and died for our sins and the sins of the world. And I think, and that's why he's satisfied. He's satisfied in his son. Amen. I want you to turn with me, if you would, in your Bibles to Hebrews chapter 10. We're going to read, uh, skip around and read a large portion of this. Hebrews chapter 10. Let's read the first two verses and then we'll skip down. 
For the law, having a shadow of good things to come, but the good thing to come was going to be Jesus. Amen. And not the very image of the things can never with those sacrifices which they offered year by year continually make the comers thereunto perfect. You know what he's saying? They offered them over and over. You've thought, I've thought about it. I'm sure you've thought about it. How many animals were killed? How many sacrifices? The dedication of the temple at the, the annual Day of Atonement. At the, the Just over and over, the daily. There were daily sacrifices for sin. They were offered. How much blood was shed? Now, God would accept it, but all of it was pointing to the final Lamb of God, to where there would be no more of that, because there wouldn't be a need to do it anymore. Amen? And it says, but all those things, even though God would accept it as a covering for sin, it said it never, could never, with those sacrifices which they offered, make the comers thereunto perfect. For then would not, would they not have ceased to be offered? Because that the worshipers once purged should have no more conscience of sin. Skip down to verse 5. Wherefore then he cometh, Jesus, into the world. This is Christmas time. This is our Christmas message. Amen. He cometh into the world. He saith, sacrifice and offerings thou wouldest not, but a body hast thou prepared me. Verse 7. Then said I, this is Jesus, lo, I come in the volume of the book as it is written of me. To do thy will, O God. Verse 10. By the which will we are sanctified through the offering of the body of Jesus Christ once for all. And every priest, that's the Levitical priest, standeth daily ministering and offering oftentimes the same sacrifices which what? Can never take away sins. But this man, after he had offered one sacrifice... For sins forever sat down on the right hand of God. Verse 14. For by one offering he hath perfected forever them that are sanctified. I don't think you could read a more clear passage on how fully he fulfilled, how fully Jesus satisfied the requirements of sin. And there are many others. But the Lord doesn't want there to be any mistake. All those things were types and shadows and foreshadowed. Abraham was wonderful. The faith he had to offer up his son in obedience to the Lord. We can admire the faith. We can study the faith. We can pray for faith like Abraham, and we should. But all those were just types and shadows and illustrations until this one, who he wouldn't spare. If God spared not his own son, but offered him for us all, how shall he not also with him freely give us all things? He didn't spare his own son. He didn't spare his own son. He died for us and for our sins. Amen. And it's speaking of Jesus. I'll read this from Hebrews 7. Who needeth not daily as those high priests to offer up sacrifice for his own sins and then for the sins of, of the peoples. For he, this he did once when he offered up himself. Amen. He offered up himself. And I thank the Lord for it. I said all through, the, from Abel on, men have made sacrifices to God. And as I said, some hypocritical, whatever, some just religious, but some genuinely doing it by faith. God was pleased. God accepted it, but didn't satisfy what Jesus satisfied. It didn't suffice. It wasn't sufficient for the sins of the world. In, in Genesis 3, uh, 4, 3 and 4, it says, And it came to pass in the process of time, that 
that Cain brought of the fruit of the ground an offering unto the Lord. And Abel he also brought of the firstlings of his flock and of the fat thereof. And the Lord had respect unto Abel and to his offering. But unto Cain and his offering he had not respect. So there's respect that God gave. Okay, a respect, a recognition, an acceptance of, of Abel's offering. It says in Hebrews 11, by faith Abel offered unto God a more excellent sacrifice than Cain. We know he did it by faith. That's one thing that made it more excellent. Second thing that made it more excellent, it was what God required. He offered the offering God required. God for, for sin was not requiring a fruit of the ground offering. That could be for other offerings. The first fruits they'd wave before the Lord and so forth. And bring in sheaves before the Lord as a token of their thanksgiving for him blessing their lives and so forth. But Abel offered the firstlings of his flock. He killed one. He offered it up to the Lord. The Bible says without the shedding of blood, there's no remission of sins. And Abel, by faith, offered a more excellent sacrifice than Cain, by which he obtained witness that he was righteous. How about that? We don't read about him uh, much more. There's not a whole lot much more written about Abel in the Bible. But we know about his offering. We know that he obtained witness that he was righteous. God testifying of his gifts. And by it, he being dead yet speak it. And so a more excellent sacrifice than Cain, it means to exceed, uh, to be above, to be greater. Amen. And so we see that men have made these sacrifices to God, but Jesus far surpassed them all. There's a scripture, I think, at the end of end of Proverbs 31. It's talking about the virtuous woman. And the author says, but thou excellest them all. Speaking about this woman, his wife, and I think of Jesus. Lord, all those offerings, Cain's offering was wonderful. It was. It was what God required. God accepted him. God said, you're righteous because you trusted in me. Abel offering up his, I mean, Abraham offering up his son. But Lord Jesus, thou excellest them all. He just surpassed them all. And Jesus Christ and him alone and the sacrifice of Christ and his sacrifice alone has satisfied the price for man's sin. What needed to be paid for men to be forgiven and justified and right with God. That's the whole what people are scrambling for. People, they want to die. And if there's a heaven, they want to go there. If there's a paradise, they want to go there. If there's a God, they want to live in such a way that they've pleased him. They want to make up for the bad that they've done. It's all vain. We're sinners by our very nature. The very nature of man is sin. But all religions are built upon good works and trying to tip the scales. If there's a God, we don't know much, but what we do, you know, I know that I've done some bad things and I want my good to outweigh my bad. Forget all that. Jesus said, there's none righteous, no, not one. You're not going to make yourself righteous, but you can put your faith in Jesus Christ who died for our sins and fully satisfied. He alone satisfies the Father, satisfied what needed to be paid for the sins of the whole world. Those other things foreshadowed it. And it's Christ alone that can satisfy our thirsty souls even as believers today, can satisfy our longing hearts. You might be depressed. You might be discouraged. You say, I'm a Christian. I shouldn't be, but you're discouraged right now. You're depressed right now. You're unfulfilled right now. You're fearful right now. You don't feel 
the joy of the Lord and, and sing, feel like singing joy to the world and so forth. Christ alone satisfies. He satisfied his Father what needed to be paid for our sins, and he satisfies our weary spirits and our longing souls. Amen? The way has been made, and this is what we're going to bring to, to a close here. The way has been made by the way maker. Amen? There's a way. There's a way to God. And it's not all these other things. There's a way to God, and he has made the way. The way makers made the way for us. Amen? To come. By his blood, through his offering on the cross, by the sufficiency of his sacrifice in his sacrifice alone. Amen. By a new and living way, the Bible says, which he hath consecrated for us through the veil, that is to say, his flesh. That is the way that he's made and how he's made for you and I to come into to the presence of God. You and I this morning and at any time we want, you wake up in the middle of the night, 2 a.m., 2 you can't sleep. You're worried. You're worried about the house. You're worried about the finances. You're worried about the, the, the virus. You're worried about your job. You're worried about your children and wondering what they're doing, if they really know the Lord. All these things, the way is there opened for us to come into the Holy of Holies. Right then and there. I don't have to go first past the brazen altar and offer another sacrifice for sin and then, and then make it to the golden altar of incense with the prayer with, where the Lord meets us at the mercy seat. He has satisfied that through the veil of his flesh and made a way for us. What a privilege. You could try all your life to get a, a, an appointment to see some king or some dignitary or whatever and may, never... No chance. You're not going to meet them. You're not going to see them. Okay? Yet the creator of all things, that way has been made for us. You and I can come into his presence, and we ought to. We ought to come more than we do. When the songs start and when the music starts on a Sunday morning, we ought to be ready. I'm already there. Is it my favorite song or it is my favorite song or whatever? I'm already in the presence of God. I'm ready to worship the Lord. Amen. I'm ready to praise him. Tomorrow morning, the men will come and those that are able to make it and come for prayer. We'll come ready to meet with the Lord. We have that privilege. Amen. And we have the privilege to come into the throne room and the holy presence of Almighty God. And I say, that's how completely sufficient the sacrifice of Jesus was. That's how completely satisfied uh, how he completely satisfied. Amen. He came to do the will of his father. That's how, as blood-bought children of God, we're accepted in the beloved. Not just to die and go to heaven. We have that wonderful future and privilege. But we're children of the king now. We're accepted in the beloved now. We've been made to sit together in Christ Jesus in heavenly places now. In a spiritual communion, a spiritual closeness and fellowship without any kind of barrier without needing a high priest to come between us, another man. We have a high priest who's already opened the veil for us. It's because Christ is accepted. It's because the Father is pleased with the Son. Amen? This is my beloved Son in whom I'm well pleased. Hear ye him, he said. He's completely satisfied. Amen? And, and the Lord has... I'll read it again. I want to read it again. He shall see the travail of his soul and shall be satisfied. So all the other sacrifices y'all just foreshadowed 
all the other offerings. I'll name a couple just real quickly. David, David, when when there was a plague upon the land because of his own sin, he numbered the children of Israel, numbered the armies because he wanted to see how mighty his army was. And, and even his his uh, prophets said, don't do that. You don't need to do that. God, God's the one who blesses. You don't need to number your armies. And he insisted upon it. And he had sinned by doing this because it looked the, the appearances that he was trusting in the flesh in the arm of his flesh and his military might. So there was a plague that came and people were dying. And David goes and he sees the angel with the sword ready to keep killing people. But he stops at a specific spot at the threshing floor of Arana, the Jebusite. And David says, I'm going to make a sacrifice right here to God for his mercy. And he made a sacrifice and he paid for the land and he prayed for the oxen. He made a blood sacrifice and offered it to the Lord. Guess what? God accepted that. The plague was stayed. Noah built an altar after God spared him and his family and the animals and started a new beginning after the flood. They all came safely almost a year's time on the ark. Before the waters dried up and the ground was dry and they came off. He built an offer and offered an animal. It was a sweet smell and sacrifice to the Lord. And the Lord accepted it. Amen. The Lord accepted it. Manoah, I thought about when he was he was Samson's father. And the angel came and said, you and your wife are going to have a, a son. He's going to judge Israel and so forth. And he offered an offering to the Lord. And God touched it and the angel touched it and it consumed and, and the angel went up in the in the fire and went back to heaven God accepted these offerings but y'all none of them sufficed like what Jesus did for us I want to close with this this is not a study on Esther and, but in, in Esther's day the people of Israel were taken, had been taken captive years before in Persia. And king, uh, the king was, had received a commandment from uh, Haman that all of the, the children of Israel were going to be killed in one day. It's on the calendar. Talk about, you know, nervous about a big test coming up and you're looking at your calendar. And it's, now it's three days away, two days away. This was on their calendar. Every Jewish person was going to be killed in one day. Their family, their little ones, their houses, all their stuff was going to be taken as a spoil to the ones that killed them. And it was the law of the land, which couldn't be changed. It's the law of the Medes and the Persians. And they began to pray and fast. Esther does and Mordecai. And Mordecai says, you need to go talk to the king. He's your husband. And I want to read this. All the king's servants, and all this is Esther says to Mordecai, all the king's servants, the people of the king's province do know that whosoever, whether man or woman, shall come into the king unto the, into the inner court who is not called, there is one law of, of his to be, to be put him to death, except such to whom the king shall hold out the golden scepter that he may live. But I have not been called to come into the king's, king's uh, these 30 days. And it was so, and I'm skipping down. It was so when the king saw Esther, he, she went and did it by faith. When the king saw Esther, the queen, standing in the court, that she obtained favor in his sight. And the king held out to Esther the golden scepter that was in his hand. So Esther drew near and touched the top of the scepter. Now, we all know that story, but you know what I was thinking? 
the Lord impressed upon my heart. Not only were the people spared, it was, it was one of the most glorious. I can't think of one more glorious than a whole reversal and transformation where everybody's spared. Bam, like that. From fear and death to life and celebrating in a moment. A nation full of people, okay? But you know what else I think about? She says, she says I can only go in if the king accepts me. And, and I'll know it if he holds out the golden scepter that I may live. And I'm thinking Jesus has the king. And he's held out that golden scepter to us through his blood. We don't have to beg him. We don't have to ask him to do that. Before you were born, he came to Jesus for you. Before you sinned your first sin, he did it for you. Before you ever came to Jesus and started thinking about giving your life to Jesus, he did it for you. He's already held out the scepter the King of Kings, and we can touch it, amen, and we can come into his presence. We have that privilege because the word became flesh, because his sacrifice and offering was sufficient and satisfactory. D, you can come. I want to close with this, y'all, while these come into play. I want you to look at Hebrews 10. The altar's open now, by the way, if you, you want to come. I'm going to read Hebrews 10, 19 through 23, and this is going to be our altar call. And I pray this is a, a transformation in our life that the Lord would help us, even at prayer tonight. Hebrews 10, 19, having therefore, brethren, boldness to enter into the holiest by the blood of Jesus. He's holding out the golden scepter, amen, so to speak, by a new and living way, which he has consecrated for us through the veil that is to say his flesh, and having a high priest over the house of God, that's Jesus, let us draw near. He wants us to draw near. He doesn't want us just to be saved and go to heaven one day. He wants us to draw near. He wants us to have a communion. How many people are longing for you to come be with them? Especially Almighty God. Because it's through the veil of his flesh. It's through the blood of Jesus. It's through the righteousness of another. Let us draw near with a true heart in full assurance of faith, having our hearts sprinkled from an evil, evil conscience and our bodies washed with pure water. Let us hold fast the profession of our faith without wavering, for he is faithful that promised. Amen. The altar is open. Father, we come before you this morning, Lord Jesus, and we want to thank you, Lord. Saying thank you is not enough, but Lord, we want to thank you for the offering of yourself, a body thou hast prepared for your son. And it's through the offering of Jesus Christ of himself that we are forever sanctified. Not just a covering for our sin, but in addition to a covering for our sin, a cleansing, inward cleansing in our conscience, in our hearts, in our minds, fully justified by your grace. Thank you, Father, for giving your son. Thank you, Jesus, for offering up your life through the eternal spirit. Thank you, Father, for being satisfied with the offering of Jesus and doing that for us, God. Thank you for opening the veil and holding up the golden scepter to us. Sam, you're accepted in the beloved. Come on in. Come on in. Forgive us that we don't come, not only to church, but that we don't come into your presence more. And I pray you'd help us to and help your people to even this morning, God. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.